You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 48. And uh, with me in the room is Greg over there. How you going, Rusty? Very good, mate. Next to me is Andrew. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, Sam. Yourself? Excellent, mate. And joining us via amazing technology is uh, Butters up in NT. Butters, are you there? Yeah, g'day, fellas. I knew you were there anyway. We checked it before. <laughs> uh, very good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. It's uh, Wet season's just slowly dying off, but it's still raining more and more. Yeah. So but hopefully we have a bit of dry weather soon and a bit a bit of cool cool temperatures. That's right, because you've had a couple of shoots uh, had to reschedule because of that rain. Every shoot we've had held this year has been rescheduled, except for last Friday's night shoot, and it still rained. <laughs> I guess just to uh, to give people who may not be yeah. aware of the geography here, uh, Butters is in Darwin, which is literally the top of the country, and we're at the bottom of the country, so... Mm. Doesn't mean three thousand kilometres. No, no, not not far from it. But a different point. Depends which way you look at it, really, isn't it? We we could be at the top. He's in the tropics. We're not. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's probably the best way to say it. (laughs) Yeah, and so um, for those listening who are not uh, familiar with Butters, he has been on a couple of episodes before. Butters, tell us what you what you do up there in regards to uh, precision and practical rifle. Uh, Yeah, so up here we we run our Northern Territory practical rifle which is essentially the closest thing you can get to basically PRS in Australia at the moment. Uh, we run off a double SAA range, a 500-metre range, and essentially with time constraints, uh, round counts, and sort of positional shooting, we basically got a little competition running, a series, uh, series is a second year running, and we've had a couple of, Really successful shoots so far. Yeah, brilliant. Um, now, you've upgraded your series a fair bit since last time uh, when we spoke. Tell us about uh, what's happening there. Uh, so last year we had, I think, oh, I can't even remember now, I think we had four Sunday shoots throughout the year uh, plus a two-day event, which we called the finale last year. That was our last shoot for the year. Yep. Big two-day, Big two-day event where we had, I think, I think we had 20 people end up coming, fair few interstate shooters, which was great to see. Uh, whereas this year, we've added on and changed it up a fair bit. Now we have we have eight Sunday shoots throughout the year, all spaced out about five weeks apart. And in the first half of the year, we've got three night shoots, which, of course, our first one was last Friday, and the, we have two more... I think the next one's in about five weeks and then about six weeks following that one's our third night. And then to not so much finish off the year, but our biggest event, excuse me, is uh, the NTPRC, which is the Northern Territory Practical Rifle Challenge, which is essentially the finale from last year. But this year we're holding it in August, which hopefully will will be a little bit better weather for, for those interstaters who come up. But yeah, overall, we've got 11, 11 counting shoots for the year. We didn't count the uh, the uh, Friday, the last Friday night one. As it was basically a trial, and we're just making sure we're get every, getting everything right. But yeah, a lot more shooting than last year, and hopefully we sort of follow follow that model on for years to come. Yeah, fantastic, mate. So, Butters, have you found that um, in your second year, the the interest you're having from you know, guys competing is you know increased, you know slowly or slightly or dramatically. Or what, what's your thoughts on that? Um, in up, in terms of shooter shooter numbers, uh, we've had people come and go, which always happens. But I reckon it's every shoot we're slowly we're slowly growing, and I think we've basically every shoot we hold we've added on an extra number. So our, our last. Our last um, match two, let's say, was the last match. We would have had 20 shooters if it hadn't have rained. Uh, and then after it rained, I think, after the rescheduling, we had 14 shooters. And then even for the night shoot, we had 13 shooters, which 
is well above the average from last year, and it's just slowly growing. And I think from members, I think we have 20, 22 members that have actually written their names down. Yeah, good. And plus, mm. a lot of interest, a lot of people have said, yeah, going to come down. A lot of people have come down and not actually shoot, so I can't really count those as numbers. But, yeah, they're still very interested. Yeah, well, I, I used to live up in Darwin, you know, many years ago now, and there just was nothing like that there. And I well, I certainly would have been jumping all over it had it been available back then. So, I mean, you got a lot of military guys there that are, you know, a lot of guys like the shooting. So I think it's definitely going to be a growth area. Yeah, and everything we've heard so far is very positive, which is which is great to hear. Like, even though it's it can be very challenging for some, they're still willing to come back and just try and better themselves, try and get better scores, and just stuff like that. Yeah, well, like we've we've seen down here, we've had guys that are you know, relatively inexperienced, and you know, initially they're not doing so well, but you know, a couple of guys in particular have just you know, really made it a point of. Um, I don't know whether it's self, you know, they want to better themselves or they want to, uh, you know, they've got something to prove with other people, but they've really put in the, the work and, you know, sort of bettered themselves substantially. I mean, I was watching a couple of guys shoot the other day and, I was, you know, they are in a different league to what they were 12 months ago. So mm, Easily. Mm. Yeah. And they're, the, they're those people that really try and be better themselves. They're the people I really like helping out oh, as well because yeah. they're really keen to learn, especially um, we've got a father and son duo who are, always competing against against each other of and they're about they the, they're, they're always about they're about the same level each match of shot but they're they're constantly getting better and you can see it that they're slowly getting better they're trying new things um like for instance mark the dad he's he went to one stage where he had to shoot left well opposite handed and he'd never done that before and think but as i can't do this i can't look through the scope and it's just a simple thing of saying look Wind down the uh, power of your scope, and you'll, it'll just appear to be much easier to f- pick up your sight picture. And he tried that, and Bob's your uncle, who's happy as Larry, and, and he went he went pretty good in that stage in the end. And, um, yeah, they're just always constantly at the range. And I think I, think I gave Mark last year sort of the, uh, the most improved award because he was – before a match, he'd come down the week before nearly every day and just practice different positions, not knowing what, what he was going to do. But, yeah, he, he's one in particular that's really enjoying it. And then Tegan, his son, he's just he's fairly new to long-range shooting, so he's always constantly learning. And, for instance, I was down at the, the range after our match too, just helping him out with his getting his uh, dope for each range and just making sure it's spot on and, and consistent, and we got that down pat and then he was he was laughing yeah nice nice yeah really rewarding and and we're actually going to get into that a little bit uh later um but i thought i'd check in uh check in with everyone you guys been doing any shooting in the last couple of weeks or or anything related oh i shot a dta the other day which was good sort of confirmed things for me yeah because last episode you were talking about about getting one in in due course yeah yeah i think I'd been sort of toying with the idea for a long time, and actually confirmed you were going to get one last episode. Yeah, I did. I did confirm it, and I'm going to con- yeah double confirm it now. That <laughs> no, I mean, I there was a, a fella down, uh, you know, the location we we do a lot of our shooting, and, and he had oh, one that's in right. in throughout the window. Get a shot on that, did you? Uh, I was quite impressed with with the, with the gun, and oh, I remember seeing you shoot that. That's right. Yeah, so no, that sort of sealed the deal for me, and I got to thinking. I thought I might actually even be able to one up Greg and turn that into a you know have one barrel set up for a uh, thermal gun too so oh that's it mate multi-purpose <laughs> yeah well that's the whole idea of having the money is no obstacle for you <laughs> what about or, or butters yeah. what about money bags over there you've been shooting at all oh Greg? not shooting I had a little bit just of a paid shot, someone but, to shoot uh, for you yeah yeah just got hired help you know outsource my shooting <laughs> now Good. I um just did a bit of work on the uh, Impact Dynamics uh, comp coming up, just getting ready for doing the some RO work. So yep. it was good to be around. Uh, we had an RO day where everyone was dry running their stages. And, uh, yeah, it was good just to watch the guys go through it, tweak their stages up, and and uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing comms. So I was just getting everything sorted in my head. So, it was yeah, I was around shooting but not actually shooting. So 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, I managed to shoot a couple of stages, but we'll uh, talk about that after the comp, I guess. Yeah. That will be good. Butters is listening intently in case anyone else slips up. (laughs) Rubbing my fingers together. (laughs) There's lots of long-range shooting. They have fingers, are they? Right. Fingers. Good. (laughs) So um, we we were watching a video before. Now, Butters, you didn't get to see it, but for those guys who were in the the room, we we were having a little look. It's called... It's a new product that we uh, well we haven't seen it before, called the Charlie Tarek. And uh, butters, have you seen that at all? Never heard of it. Excellent. That'll help the discussion. So that's a. Um, <laughs> it's like a. Uh, well, how would you describe it, gentlemen? I guess you'd call it a a periscope, for want of a better term, that mm. goes onto. You have it like a mount which attaches to the front of the scope, and then this unit can can clip on and off of it very quickly by the looks of it. And effectively, what it's doing, it it has like two mirrors, you know, as a standard periscope would, one of which is adjustable. So it's effectively changing where the scope is looking. Hmm. Um, or the height of the scope, isn't it? Well, height not angle. really. I mean, it is in that mm. the the top mirror raises sort of the yeah. point that the light yeah. enters the scope up, but. Um, effectively giving you, I think he he said four hundred minutes. Yeah, hundred and twenty mil. Mm. Uh, additional adjustment on whatever it is your scope has. And it's, I guess, a little bit, if you've never heard of or seen the concept, it's a little probably hard to picture in your mind what it's going to look like. But effectively, your scope doesn't move. You don't need, you know, tapered base. You don't need to have a, a scope with a huge amount of elevation or anything like that. It's It doesn't actually affect anything on the scope at all. It's It sits yeah. on the front of the scope. So, um, very interesting design, anyway. Mm. Very yeah. interesting concept, and very uh, clever. Yeah, for those guys really pushing the limits, it's perhaps a, a really effective way of getting um, getting out there. It's not it's not cheap. It's fifteen hundred US or so. Mm-hmm. But th- then again, uh, those guys who are shooting extreme long range generally are not um, sort of counting counting pennies. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to spend some money to get out there. Um, so, for those guys who are interested, that's from. TACOM or uh, so T-A-C-O-M H-Q and the product is called a Charlie Tarek T-A-R-A-C um, uh, Mark and Sam from WA did a, have done a little uh, video review of that one where they explain it so definitely worth uh, checking that out if you have not seen it yeah. How durable would a, uh, a setup like that be? That's exactly Especially Yeah, that's what I was yeah, thinking. I, I don't know that it's a run and gun style setup though. I think well, it's more a set shot yeah. type that, scenario. It, having mm. said that, it is it, it, it looks relatively solid. It, it's it does not, looks well it's, built. It's not a it's not um looks really well delicate. Built. Yeah, it mm. is a solid sort of hunk of metal, but I guess sort of my thoughts w- would be it has to come off and go on in exactly the same spot. Yeah, and not um, move between shots. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, the unit itself looks solid. I, I can't imagine it moving. It looks like it's well built. Mm. That would be the the concern I would have. Would be mm. okay. It's it's on the front of the scope. It's not integral with the scope. But I yeah, guess um, yeah. I mean, watch a few more reviews and see yeah, how yeah, guys are going. Yeah, wait for some testing or, results. And or just maybe you want to grab a couple for us, Greg, and oh, we'll that's, run, that's run probably through. easiest way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, first three listeners to call in right <laughs> now. Greg will buy you one. <laughs> I yeah. definitely count. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but see, you've only got 500 meter range there, but it's probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, you, you probably need another 3,000 out the back of that. So. <laughs> I'm sure I could find that somewhere. No, nah, too late, mate. Time's expired. Sorry, uh, no, lines are lighting up. Uh, cool. So um, we've got a question on Facebook that came in from Damien Robinson. Uh, I'll read it out, and then we can uh, try and break it all down. Uh, it's fairly, fairly long, but it's going to probably lead us into our topic tonight anyway. Uh, hi, guys. Been listening for a little while now. Just caught up with the current episodes. Getting back into shooting now that I've finished with my old expensive hobby, uh, i.e. kids have left home, uh, and he's uh, getting pretty excited about it. Well, I'd love to get straight into PRS-style shooting, and certainly should. Um, I'm looking at rimfire metallic silhouette first. Uh, memories of my old 10-22 and liking synthetic stocks of me looking at the Ruger American Rimfire, 18-inch tactical, but the CZ452 American is another option I've been cons- considering. Uh, opinions on these suggestions? Perhaps we'll pause it there. Um, Let's go the CZ or CZ for our American listeners. Yep. Anyone else got a... 
Yeah, uh, I haven't I'm got much no to, to say that <laughs> I really enjoyed my Riga 1022 as well, but uh, <laughs> they're family in the past. Yeah, but I mean the the new the Ruger Americans. I mean they're they're a good basic entry level gun, but I, personally mm. I would take the CZ. Yeah, every I've time. I've seen lots of good results out of CZs. Um, yeah, th- yeah, they're definitely one of my favourites in the rimfire. But as have you ever seen a twenty two? No, just checking. I, I grew up shooting an old twenty two caliber Slazenger air rifle. That's a lie. You, you've never mm. grown up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, yep. There's nothing, um, nothing small enough to shoot with the rimfire up in the Northern Territory. Cane toads. Yeah, you got them there now. Okay, they weren't there years ago. They keep respawning. Loads of them up here now. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with the other guys. The CZ is, is certainly the way to go. It's a, the preferable option. Um, I've got a couple of them, and, and they just, they're rock solid. They just mm-hmm. they work and work and work, and I think one of them's probably got, oh, I'd hate to take a guess, but I'll do it anyway. Um, somewhere in the vicinity of today, uh, 60, 70,000 rounds through it, and it still goes. So, yeah, I certainly uh, would recommend them highly. Uh, all right, on to the next part. Uh, I've read the recent article on chassis and stock choices. That'd be the one from a Precision Rifle blog. Uh, and was hoping for some advice on choices available here in Australia, especially with an eye on being able to have the same type of chassis for a training rifle as a competition rifle. Um, he moves around plenty, um, currently in Queensland, but often hunting in Victoria, um, something to be aware of. Uh, so no Ruger precision rifle, uh, is probably an option because of the folding stock. Yeah. Uh, Initial thoughts about the centerfire rifle was 24 inch varmint barrel Hauer in 6.5 Creedmoor, as this has plenty of room for upgrades without breaking the bank. 7mm 08 would be my second choice. Uh, one rifle to practice with for everything, but it's only available in sport weight with a Hauer. Uh, how big a difference with the barrel weights make? Would I just be better off planning on a different rifle going, if I was ever going deer hunting in Victoria? Cheers, Damien. Ooh, we kind of touched on the, the topic of having a, um, you know, multiple rifles set up exactly the same well you were planning on doing that still working on it okay. yeah still coming along six and a half though that doesn't qualify under vic to shoot deer does it mm, no. gotta have 30 cal no two so 30 cal and up 70, or 270. 270 30 yeah. cal and up yeah yeah i think yeah they, they did change the specifications a little while back because there were yeah. some other regulations too but yeah it depends on what he wants to shoot he hasn't said specifically mm. what he intends to shoot i mean that 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 there would add a, another dimension yeah, to the consideration but definitely I, I mean if he's not talking hunting samba deer it kind of narrows it down you know, mm. a little bit you know his choices are a bit wider i guess but um mm. i'm going to go with his last comment here he asked would i just be better off planning on a different rifle as ever going deer hunting in victoria and i'm going to say yes yeah mm. Just, I'd say just get a get a hunting rifle. Problem's going to be that if you're going to buy two guns, um, you're going to be compromising. Oh, sorry, if you're going to buy one gun to achieve two purposes, you're going to be compromising on one or both of those purposes. Um, exactly right. And he could certainly spend. Don't have to spend a huge amount of money on the deer rifle. He'd certainly get away with something for not huge amounts of money. Um, and then in terms of the chassis and options and stuff, uh, the, he, he'd have plenty of options whether he stuck with a Hauer or, or not. And that 6.5 Creedmoor is certainly a good option. Butters, any thoughts? Oh, sorry, Andrew, if you... No, no, over to Butters. Um, yeah, like you said, I think trying to mix and match multiple uh, uh, multiple purposes into the one rifle can get you into trouble. Obviously, one rifle isn't perfect at everything. Um, he's probably better off just sticking with something that he can go out in the Victoria or wherever he is to go out hunting, something fairly lightweight. And, and then down the track, maybe something that'll sort of suit the target shooting a precision rifle sort of scene, I think, or even a, a trainer rifle down the track. Do you guys think that's what he's probably looking at? He's like, he I wants the I one chassis and he wants to interchange uh, barreled actions of the Howard. That wasn't what I read into that. I, I mm. think particularly his last comment about, you know, would he be better to go with something different for deer hunting in Victoria? I, 
Yeah, we, we can back it up a second, Greg, if you like. He mm. does talk about the training option. Yeah. Um, and chassis related to that, but that's focused around a competition rifle. Yeah, okay. Well, we can cover that off in di- yeah, more, but, but he does yeah. he does say that he's not in Victoria currently, but he mm. may be at some point. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I'm still leaning towards suggesting two rifles going to yeah. solve this oh, one. Absolutely, yep. because I think if you were to say, okay, one rifle, we could suggest something that would be legal for Sam Badir in Victoria, but also be used for... PRS type shoots, it really would not be ideal for PRS type shoots. Yeah. In that, you know, minimum of two seventy, A you've got something that's really overpowered for the PRS kind of competitions and long, you know, so it's longer bolt throw and things like that. So Here's me shooting a three hundred. No, only pretty, <laughs> only only stupid people tend to do that. Not, not sure I'd call that shooting or you know, attempting maybe. Um he puts a comment on there afterwards that he says, Lucky 13 looking at releasing a Howard chassis around the Brisbane Shot Show, which is interesting mm-hmm. to know. Uh, and working on chassis for the Ruger American Rimfire. Ever, ever, any experience with their stuff? Well, you got we'll, a magazine, haven't you, Greg? We'll be at the Shot Show. Um, but no, I've got no experience with it. Got I've, got, I've got a Lucky 13 mag and I love it. It's yep. really well made, works perfectly, but. Um, yeah, like the machining's really well done, but uh, I, I wouldn't have any idea about the chassis at all. Design-wise, yeah. So. Yeah, so they've got a good standard set, but on a basic assembly, it'll be interesting how they can put it together in a modular. Well, I mean, a, a chassis is not particularly complex machining. I think, you know, if they've got machining on the magazines sorted out and, and professional, mm. I, I don't see why the chassis would be anything different. Yeah. How heavy are those Lucky 13 chassis? That's one thought. Just just That's working on point. it at the moment, mate. I know their mags aren't exactly uh, light, but you know, dur- you could run a truck over them. A lot of the chassis, yeah, yeah. their mags are good. Yeah. A lot of the chassis aren't light, though. I mean, I, I mean, I guess the you shoot an AI, and and that's obviously not a light gun, and uh, it's probably one of the heaviest ones out. <laughs> yeah, but I you see, I handled a TRG M10 the other day, and that was a lot heavier than I thought it would be. That that really had mm. some weight in it. Yeah, um, they are heavy, aren't they? So I think a lot of the chassis, that, besides the sort of the flimsy-looking, cheaper variants, they, they have got some weight in them. That, that XLR mm. Industries carbon fibre yeah, jelly the, that I ordered, what what did that come in at weight? Do you remember? Not offhand, but see, that, mm. that's did, not... Weren't you the one that ordered it? Yeah, I, I ordered it. <laughs> oh, he, he, just, he just got me to spec out what I would <laughs> order. He sent me some yeah. photos. Went, Ooh, that looks good, so yeah, I ordered it. Take three of them. Yeah. Is that a carbon one or a, yeah. a standard yeah. one? Yeah, and it's a bit more cut out as well, isn't well, it? Well, the, the carbon one is its not all carbon. It's just the four-inch no. is carbon. No. But the, the actual chassis body on, on that model is sort of skeletoned out quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know, I've seen I've seen both, and I, rem- I haven't felt the uh, carbon version, but I've felt the standard one, and it was surprisingly front-heavy when I was holding it. So yeah. it, I think the carbon would be much more ergonomic in a weight distribution. Yeah, I think. Well, it's got the chassis is weighing, I guess that's without a butt stock, or is it with, I don't know. But it's got um, 27 ounces. That'd be without. Yeah, that's without. Does not include grip or butt stock. You see, I think with with the XLRs, they're, they're compatible with a lot of the AR-15 accessories, so they'll take AR-15 handguards and you know butt assemblies and that sort of thing, so it would really be dependent on what you wanted in that regard yeah so damien you know, i guess if you if you're listening mate um the it's interesting to know that the lucky 13s are bringing out something for rimfire as well because it's obviously something you mentioned here that wouldn't mind being able to set up a training rifle in 22 um so uh, yeah that's always the challenge if you want to do something in 22 not too many chassis makers actually do both um i think mdt now have released some rimfire sort of stuff um, which is good, and I know that Precision Rifle Products here in Adelaide uh, will will make, uh, have been making them, or slowly be making them. So I suspect they will continue and make it more available. I just I just remember there was actually a, another Australian company I saw just recently, Covenant Arms, yeah. doing a, a chassis, which I think was for CZ rifles. Oh, true. I don't believe they, they do a centerfire. S- no, but I mean, I guess the thing would be if it's compatible with AR15 accessories, you could achieve very similar yep. ergonomics with the same butt and the same hand grip, you know, pistol grip and you know, that would probably be as close as you're gonna get generally to 
two mm. rifles that are exactly the same, one being a rimfire, one not. Well, Greg and I will be at Brisbane Shot Expo, I believe. Yep. And uh, so we will definitely be keen to check out the uh, the Lucky Thirteen. So, uh, so Damien, if you if you're in Queensland, um, let us know, and we'll uh, we'll go check it out together. Be good. So that leads us on to um, have we avoided that question well enough? I think yeah, so. I think so. I think so. Good. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so that leads us on to um, our question or topic for tonight, uh, Butters. I'm going to throw this one to you, but the other gentlemen in the room, no doubt, will uh, will give some thoughts as well. Yep. With the, with the growth of sort of practical rifle shooting or precision rifle shooting, whichever way you want to call it, um, you, obviously you guys are running more comps this year, and we're starting to see more comps pop up, and there is more mm-hmm. sort of on its way. A lot of people are sort of uh, unsure what they need to be able to actually jump on board to compete. Um, one in, in equipment, two in sort of knowledge, understanding and experience. Um, I'm, I, no doubt you get that question a lot and you said you often have a lot of people come up and just watch. What, yeah, what do they yeah. really need to be able to jump on board with one of these comps? And obviously your, your experience as a match director and competitor and then the guys sitting in this room um, who have also done either a bit of match directing slash ROing. Um, what's your thoughts? Um, well, if you... Like you said, if you put it into two points, one equipment and two knowledge and experience. Um, so with equipment, you really just need to know what you're using. It really it doesn't really matter what you're using as long as it's centerfire, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for us personally up in NT, we've got blokes running, uh, even girls running two, two, three, right up to the 300 wind mag that, me and two other people actually shoot 300 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those swap between 308 and 300. Because you need but it essentially 500 metres. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's staring you up. <laughs> no, he's no good at it though. I don't bite. <laughs> um, so he, he uses the 300 when the, we put unknown distances in So because he, he knows he's got that flat trajectory. Uh, I gotcha. So that's his reasoning behind that. I did ask him that. But in terms of equipment, Basically, use what you have. Obviously, certain things will work better than others. But for someone fresh as a daisy, just coming along, just wants to have a go, use what you have. Um, we've had people come on, come in with uh, just stock standard tickers, Remingtons, Howers, all that sort of stuff. We've even got a stock standard Hower for a club gun that people can use if they want. Um if I was to suggest something, I would say something with a sort of a medium profile barrel that's starting to become a little bit more popular, not necessarily a varmint barrel, um, a barrel like what the CTR uses, which is a bit of a mix and match. Yep. Um, and preferably a first focal plane scope. doesn't really matter which one, but one that's, one that gives you the hash, hash marks and uh, easily adjustable turrets. It's, it's really what you want. Um, so why do you say first focal plane scope specifically? Um, that's it can it can be per, personal preference, but when I when I'm shooting, a first focal plane scope allows me to hold over for elevation and windage, and as you probably know I rarely dial my scope even out to 800 not 900 meters I use the uh, just hold over because I find that's a little bit more consistent than just well every t- turret will be ever so slightly out and I just find that it's going to be the same if I never touch the turrets mm-hmm. so that that's my personal preference but one thing I do I and this is why I suggest a first focal plane scope, is let's say that you're shooting at a target a 1,000 metres away and you get back on target to watch your bullet splash hit, let's say, 3.5 mil to the left. Because that's a first focal plane scope you, and you like to dial on your scope, you can autom- automatically go, right, that was exactly 3.5 mil. I can dial that straight in, and if the wind's consistent, you should, in theory, hit the next, tu- hit the next shot. Um, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. yeah I'd sort of add to that, Butters, in, in that even if you're not dialing your, um, for your elevation or your windage, it, it it's a consistent, um, if you're using the reticle for windage or elevation, 
the graduations subtend the same regardless of the magnification. So exactly right. You yeah. know, I, I've come undone in the past using second focal plane scopes on on quick shots where you know a fox, for example, would would appear and you just you know, okay you're at 32 power on a scope, but you know make the holdover bang and you and you miss because it's calibrated for 22 power and it's you know second focal plane. Yeah. That wouldn't happen with the first focal plane. So it, it just, to me, it adds that sort of element of speed, makes subsequent yep. shots quicker. And, and it, that's and, one yeah. thing that a lot of people found um, during our match too, I put a stage in where there's a little bit of running involved. So the, I was getting the competitors all puffed out. But when they got to their rifle, they had to shoot two, three, four, and 500-meter targets without touching their scope. And a lot of them had never had never attempted that before and anything at all. This is a bit new and they did it and they and each one of them found that they were just that little bit quicker on hitting the targets because they didn't have to worry about looking up, looking at their turret, adjusting it and then back getting back behind the scope. So um yeah, there's a little because a lot of blokes don't actually hold over up up here. They all they're all dialing their turrets and I think a lot of guys do that though, but as I even you would have noticed with the the comp you shot down here last year, I think you were you were almost by yourself in that regard. And most yeah, I know. most guys are dialing, you know, not necessarily on the closer targets, but there was a lot of dialing between targets, and I think that that comes down to familiarity with your equipment as well, and and your loads exactly right. and that sort of stuff. But yeah, if you know what you're doing, you're always going to be quicker to hold as long as you're confident on your holds. Yeah, and that. That's taking into account that you've got targets at differing ranges. Like, say you've got a single target like the Titanic last year, where there's a 420 odd meters, I think. 419, oh, if you want to be exact, but yeah, pretty no, close. There we go. <laughs> pretty darn close, mate. Got a good memory, but anyway. Is that why you missed? Um, <laughs> that was the oh, first harsh. time I'd ever shot off that. <laughs> I got zero. I'll admit I got zero. We should <laughs> clarify that it was a wobble platform. Yeah, because yeah. 420 meters doesn't sound that impressive. Um, you, I made that too, but it's that thing, by the way. <laughs> I, I know, and I hate you for it. That's all right. <laughs> 3,000 kilometers away, you can hate as much as you like. Right. We're not using it this year, mate. We're not using it this year. Oh, you should. But anyway, what I was saying is, let's say you've got that single target out there. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really matter. If you dial before you shoot the stage, it, that's yeah. not going to affect no your effect. speed. Unless you dial incorrectly and you have to change halfway. Yeah. Which happened but, last yeah. year too. Yeah, Moose did that. He was a full revolution high. Yeah, I was spotting at the time. <laughs> he was hitting it 900 metres away, he was, bullet was hitting. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, yeah. Should that's... have just moved the target for him. <laughs> but yeah. I guess, I guess uh, you know, to keep things moving along, in regards to you know, recommendations for people starting out in this kind of shooting oh yeah we're talking um, about that That's yeah right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry normally you're the one that has to steer the conversation sam but yeah, um yeah normally now i i think you know well my my thoughts on you know rifle setup would be detachable magazines are, are a very valuable um yes way yes. to have your rifle set up most of you guys would agree with that yeah yeah, yep. yeah particularly this style detachable mags you you certainly will have an advantage yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a number of the shoots that mandate a magazine change. Yeah, um, you know, and I noticed last year with the comp we held, there were guys that we were using in internal magazines, or you know, they had ammo that was too long to fit in magazines, so they had to single load, and big hamstringing, you know, really disrupts your position a lot more. Yep. So I think that that's probably you know, there's so many hmm. systems available now for no basically end. all the, the commercial rifles. You know, aftermarket ones and even factory options so that would and be just to add on top of detachable mags it is handy having a spare mag handy in case one something goes wrong with the one you're using because i've i've had blokes where the mags just decided to go nup and just disintegrate out of the gun <laughs> like spring going everywhere yeah. <laughs> it's quite amusing but wasn't a ticker it was it um I can't. I can't recall. No, the only, yeah. only gun I've seen that on is a ticker. But I've seen, you know, for some reason, guys with internal. It wasn't a ticker mag. It was an AI mag. Oh really? AICS mag. There you go. Yeah. Bottom. The bottom plate come off it, and the spring come out, and oh, it went everywhere. <laughs> but I mean, the thing with with the detachable mag though, the advantage is you drop the mag and you, and you're clear. Whereas I've seen guys have issues with internal mags, 
um, you know, might mm. be hanging up inside in the, yep. the internal box or the follow, yeah. followers jamming. And it just, it's so much longer for them to clear that and, and get shooting again. Yeah. So. Yeah, cool. So we've covered sort of a little bit on rifles, a little bit on scopes, a uh, little bit on some accessories. Well, any, any other accessories that are sort of a, a minimum requirement to be able to shoot this sort of event? Bipod. Yeah, that's pretty much a given. <laughs> Goes without yeah, saying. Depends on the comp. I know. I guess the NT comp and, and the ones we're running locally here, you get given the range, but you know, um, oh, I don't, yeah. I'm not sure that all comps give range. So, um, uh, range finder obviously comes into the mix there. Yeah. Um, or or to know how to mill a target, that'd be handy. Yeah, that's. But then if you uh, got unknown, up from, unknown target sizes, you're in trouble. So yeah. Yeah. So. From my experience, usually you get given the size of it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, if they're, that, if they're expecting you to... My, my experience is you get given the range. Yeah, it sounds like a good stage, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want the range or the target size? <laughs> target size. Actually, you know what? Let's give you neither. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you did that last year. Yeah. The, the goat. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's, there's yeah, something there's out, tar- there, out there, find it and shoot it. We're yeah. really, really, really not nice, nice people, are we? Because <laughs> you haven't been up here yet. No, that's right. Yeah, it's all going to come back. <laughs> um, and so, what? What beyond that? I mean, um, bags or anything, or is that is that the stuff that comes with time? Um, bags, I don't find are necessary because you can still shoot without them. Like they're handy, and quite often we'll have stages where bags aren't allowed, and folks have got to shoot prone without a rear bag or rest off something without a rear bag. So. They're a little bit of a luxury item. They're really handy, but not not necessarily necessary, yep. Yep. so to speak. Yeah, um, cool. I, w- I encourage muzzle brakes because that reduces recall and helps you get back onto target a lot quicker. Of course you do. You shoot a 300. Yeah, even 308s. When I was, that one match I shot my 308, I was watching the own, my own bullet trace go towards down to, down to the target, even at 200 metres. Yeah. And... Just having no recall is just so much easier, especially if you miss. If you miss, you can actually see where you've missed. Yeah. Mm. Another another point I was sort of consider- thinking about in regards to equipment would be um, a, an adjustable stock in some way to set it up for yourself. Um, in yep. a lot of factory stocks, if you throw them to the shoulder or jump down behind them, you have to really move your face to get good scope alignment. It's time-consuming awkward you know not comfortable yeah i was gonna say one of the blokes up here has found that as well because he shoots a absolutely stock standard ticker varmint um and he finds himself lifting his cheek up off the the comb of the rest these stock having to look through a scope and he's a little bit inconsistent he's and we nutted that down to why he's been inconsistent during matches and so something where you can adjust the comb of your stock or the cheek breast is probably one of the more important things in a stock. Not so much the length of pull. You can do with that in some in some way, but certainly a uh, an adjustable cheek rest is is very important for all shooting it, really. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And, and even if you don't have the opportunity of getting a stock with an adjustable cheek rest, taking the time to get your cheek rest padded up or built up in some way to get it correct for your scope. Pool noodles. Pool noodles, yep. yep. Um, good. That that works. We've seen that. Certainly seen that. They're quite versatile, actually. You can put them on the bipod and anyway, all sorts of things we've seen. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, some way of building up your uh, your stock so that you're actually getting really good eye relief uh, or eye position behind your scope is very good. I guess just probably we have certainly talked about this issue before, but would be as the best quality optic you can buy as well, you can afford. I mean, yep. I've seen guys hamstring themselves with you know, $3,000 rifle when they put a $200 scope on it. You're yep. never going to get the maximum out of your equipment if you're doing that. Um, yeah. Just from a repeatability, reliability factor. And so moving on, f- oh, sorry, Greg, were you going to? Yeah, I was going to add one. Oh, um, was yeah. it a thermal? Yeah, I think you should have a thermal <laughs> before you start it. No, no. Um, no, I was just going to say, look, although, you know, it's quite fine to kick off with factory ammunition at some point, 
in time, you may want to consider flicking over to reloading. Uh, obviously, the longer range get a bit more consistency, but um, yeah, I, what, yeah, it's just something I'd say. You know, for me, changing to reloading was a big, big, uh, I guess, step forward in accuracy and consistency. So that's something you may want to consider when you want to start reaching out a bit further or there's a lot of stages that are longer range. Well, cost as well. I mean, you look at the price of premium factory ammunition, it's just obscene, basically. Yeah, yeah, too true. So moving on from equipment, guys, What? Um, and I'm, I'm in fear of, of repeating the stuff we talked about last week or the other week um, where we talked about, you know, sort of starting out again, what would we do differently? Yeah. Um, Wanting to shift it to so if you were if you had let's say you've got a ticker, um, and or let's let's bump it down even uh, let's say we've got say a, a savage, um, and we've got a savage in twenty two two fifty, and we've got a um, let's say we we went all right with a scope we've got a, a reasonable scope with some sort of dialable turrets, mm-hmm. maybe one of the um, uh, the Leopold, yes hvs yeah, or even thinking um, the Leopold. Um, Mark AR, so it's dialable turret, but it's fairly relatively cheap. Um, but anyway, let's say we've got something with with dialable turret, but we weren't, we didn't buy it with PRS style shooting in mind. Should we rock up and have a crack at a comp? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> One thing I just dis- why? Well, because you're not going to get better if you're not shooting. Yeah. Well, well interesting. I, that does lead into something. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who does a lot of shooting, and uh, and he. He was relaying how he'd been soundly beaten in a competition, um, right. and it was a yeah, it was multiple like you know, rifle, pistol, shotgun competition in the US, and uh, and he said he spoke to a guy who who soundly beat him, and he said you know what, how are you getting so quick on your target transitions and that sort of thing, and he said dry firing, yep. he does a lot of dry firing with with all of his firearms, you know, pistol, rifle, and shotgun, hmm. and I think you know you. You're not obviously going to be able to fire off too many centre fire rounds in your backyard unless you've got a big property. So you know you're not going to be able to get that live firing practice as much as you'd probably like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he certainly said you know dry firing was yeah. one that for him improved his proficiency in all your different time. positions. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You could, practice your position yeah, strength because that's got to build up for some people. You know, like yeah, and just the sort of you know familiarity with how you, you know, if you've got a rifle, you've got to brace at 90 degrees or, you know, on an odd angle or, you know, no rests or no supports, whatever mm. it might be. If you just rock up to a comp and try and shoot it, you're probably not going to be that great at it. But if you've dry-fired 500 times in that position, you're adding yeah. a live round to the equation, but the position itself is already going to be familiar to you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I agree. But going back to the, the Savage as well and actually turning up to a shoot... One thing you'll find if you just turn up with what you have, say it be a Savage or just a run-of-the-mill ticker or whatever you got, once you start shooting a certain type of competition, you'll start to learn and think about what you would like. Yeah. And so you can start working towards the quote-unquote perfect rifle for yourself. No such thing. You could... <laughs> <laughs> so... Yes, it is. It's a DTA. <laughs> <laughs> You feel all gimpy armed cycling a DTA. <laughs> oh, don't worry, that they, they him. do that make suits them. That's well. <laughs> so. Got to be a T Rex. I've seen. Keep them with the savage. Like, yeah, sorry, go back to that one. Yeah, now I've lost my point. Um, <laughs> so you turn up to a shoot. Let's say it's you turn up to the NTPR for one of our matches. You turn up with your run of the mill rifle. Yep. You shoot it and you think, well, like we touched on earlier, I really need to get a cheek riser to be able to be consistently get a uh, a good cheek weld for each shot. Or you might think, well, I want to get a more inline chassis or stock that lets the recoil come straight back instead of maybe throwing it up like some standard st- stocks may do. Yep. And just slowly working towards, like, even if you'd only upgrade the Savage. You just slowly upgrade it and upgrade it until you've got something that you can really compete with. Or you can just go bugger it and buy an AI. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
You, I mean, I think I like Butters. He's got heaps of money. <laughs> you and him will be drinking the top shelf beer at the PRI. Beer. Bring your gold plated brew mug, mate. We'll have a beer together. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I my thoughts are: if you're starting out and you you attending, yeah, maybe not jumping straight into the comps, but hanging around and and being there, ask questions from the guys that that are doing well. Not necessarily from the guys that have got all the best equipment because they don't necessarily shoot the best, but ask the guys <coughs> that are, that know what they're doing. I, I wasn't yeah. implying present company, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, so if you've got no, not really any idea, I certainly, yeah, in the in the comps that I've been around, most people are pretty open to helping oh, you. Yeah, yeah, you well, that's true. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that, that that's probably the biggest point um, that... I was going to touch on is that a lot of people don't realize what these competitions are like you know once you do let's say you shoot the comp you know once you're all milling around having a barbecue or a few beers there's so much information passed uh to those that ask questions if they want it um even even on the stages even being you know while you're shooting i mean you could go one of these comps and and with whatever limited gear you may have and and you'll you'll learn so much more by going and and you might miss a whole stack of targets. That's mm. you know, disappointing, but at least you'd be with guys who shoot regularly, and uh, they'll be sort of passing some info on to you. And uh, generally speaking, you guys might probably agree that most of the people in this uh, type of shooting are pretty welcoming to pass info on. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I you know, it's it's interesting because it is a growing sport. You know, very quickly growing the interest that's in it. And again, I haven't seen. Anything other than, I mean, you get the odd guy who's a quiet, not not going to be too sure. forthcoming, but yeah, I haven't really seen any real negative sort of behaviour that would put you know a beginner off. You know, mm. most people are you know you have a shot, you know, let you use their gear if you you know if you've got time or you're practicing or whatever. They plenty of guys will let you have a few shots out of their rifle, and if if that opportunity presents itself, take it. Oh, always take it. Mm. Yeah, because especially I mean, if Butters is paying for the ammo because he's got heaps. Yeah. Of money. <laughs> no, I'm a tight ass. <laughs> That's why you bought That's an AI. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Greg tells us he hasn't got any money either. But, uh, <laughs> I've just got enough Visa cards. I use them as like a playing deck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> it's, um, the, moving on. Yeah, moving sorry, on somehow. Go on. Moving on somehow. But like you've said, just turning up, watching, talking to other people, that's the way you're going to learn. And especially... Even if you're not shooting, if you watch the, say, the the better shooters and how they go about the stage, how they position, position themselves, how they set up, all that sort of stuff, you can use that for when it's your turn, essentially, oh, yeah. or when you come to shoot. And it's like, um, I, I watched a, for our last uh, match, I watched, I was actually shooting second last, and I watched everyone run through this specific stage in a certain way and they sort of just copied the first person that did it and then the person before me went up and did it exactly how I did it and everyone's just gone mouths open going why didn't we do that and then when I've done the same and then the bloke after me did the exactly the same thing and <laughs> and I some of the um and it's just watching how people do it differently as well because not one way is going to be perfect for everyone yeah everyone's going to be different and Obviously, just watching the different ways of how to do something, especially with positional shooting, that's the way you're going to learn. Mm. And, and then, of course, asking them. Yeah, we ran we ran a, a, a new new course on the weekend, the Practical Rifle Skills course, which is basically based around this sort of shooting. And, and one of the exercises we did was a, a, a theoretical exercise for part of it. And it was looking at a scenario, a stage sort of breakdown, or a hunting scenario, and then going through the different ways of being able to engage whatever it was in whatever manner you did. And it was just, you know, we often would put this, the scenario up and let the guys sort of make suggestions. And it was really interesting to see uh, the, the variation of suggestions. And then also sometimes the, you know, you just sort of shoot it in the most logical, sensible, linear way you could. You turn it on its head pretty quickly with a, another sort of, you know, one one sentence to say, what about thinking of it this way? And guys had completely changed the way they were shooting and, and yeah. would, you know, potentially end up with a lot higher score. Mm, that's really, really interesting. I, I, I certainly enjoy that sort of tactical side of things and breaking it down. 
Well, I think uh, without giving too much away to uh, our guest for the evening, the competition coming up will be... <laughs> no, I give it all away. <laughs> okay, there's no, no positional shooting. It's all prone under 200 metres. <laughs> You're lying. It's off, a, it's off a bench. <laughs> and, and someone else is pulling the trigger. <laughs> but um, I think it'll be interesting to watch because the, you know, there's a bit, massive variety of, mm. of stages, some requiring movement and... And you know decision making skills and that sort of thing and that sort of stuff. Bribery. Yeah, well, well that's that's mm. always open to that. Just remember, I'm on uh, three stages, butters. So just bring some of that money down. Yeah, just remember to text me your bank details. Yeah, I'd cash only, mate. Cash only. Ah, <laughs> uh, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's good. I think I think the the point of getting out and having a crack and and the other option perhaps um, is offered a RO. Or help in some way because amazing and, and you guys now all sitting in the room here and butters you've obviously done a bit there um roing teaches you so much as well because you get yeah. to watch these guys come up and they they go you know, you know your stage well and they get up and they go they put it they do all sorts of different scenarios of how to actually shoot it and uh, you get to see all of that and where people s- struggle and to be able to then take that knowledge and apply it is yeah. wonderful and, and just sort of almost tied in with that is spotting for people. Yeah. Spotting, that's a biggie. Uh, you can learn a lot spotting for someone else. Mm. Yeah. I had one of the benefits when I was editing the video last year of the PRI. Um, I got to watch guys approach the same stage, six, seven, eight guys watch the, same, the, the approach the same stage in every stage. And, uh, yeah, you certainly went, yeah, that's not a great way to do it. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, he's done well. But the guys that didn't approach it so well, if they were smart, they would be learning from... Oh well, it's really squad. Yeah, some some won't. Some people are you know, stubborn, but mm. or stupid. But no, I, I've noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> stubborn and stupid. <laughs> Talking about yourself. Um, yeah, so I've, actually, I've, yeah. I've noticed. I noticed a lot of the guys are, are pretty open to ideas and concepts. So. Well, I mean, if you're an inexperienced guy and you're in a squad, you know, four or five other guys. Yeah. You don't shoot very well. You watch some guys shoot it differently to you and do very well. I mean, everyone's going to pay attention to that. Of course, you're going to watch. And yeah, well and truly. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I think I'll probably just add too that if you start out and you get out there, try and maintain a positive attitude that, you know, try to understand that, yeah, you mightn't go real well to start off with. If, um, if you go for the beers and the barbecue afterwards, <laughs> then everything else is secondary. So, <laughs> and and you won't walk away feeling disappointed. Yeah. I think it's just that whole attitude thing of, you know, if you go bad, just go, oh, well, you know, that wasn't so good, but I learnt this, this, and this, you know, and just try and keep that, that positive learning attitude, and I think you'd, you, you're just going to get better and better. Over to you. Sam. Uh, butters? <laughs> what? Someone? <laughs> you're on. <laughs> right. on you're on. Um, yeah. Final thoughts. Final thoughts? Get a ticket CTA in 308, then you can put a muzzle brake on it. Get a Night Force SHV. That's about, what do you reckon, about three grand, a bit over? Probably. If you were to buy, buy a gun. Yep. Learn how to use it. Show up to shoots. Practice with it. Dry fire. Just get your dope. Have it zeroed really well for whatever range you want to. Mm-hmm. And then know your dope really well for however far out you need to. And then just practice. And I say 308 because it's fairly cheap. It's easy to reload for if you reload. Components are easy to get. Yep. And you've got a long barrel life, so you can burn thousands of rounds through it and not have to worry about it. And then over time, the knowledge will come, especially with attending events, watching, helping, shooting. The knowledge will come over time, and in no time at all, you'll be watching your scores improve or even your shot capabilities improve over time. Yeah. I like how you said in your in your early discussions you definitely have to have a first focal plane scope and then you've recommended one that isn't. What, Night Force SHV? Yeah. I believe they oh, they, no, they yeah. do that new oh, one. They do, they do make one. That's right, the new one, dude. Four to 14. Uh, you, I'm thinking the uh, the original line when they came out. Uh, with the time. Oh, I'm Just not up to it. I've been back time. I've been distracted <laughs> by those uh, Vortex Gen twos. Uh, the uh, the Vortex um, PST Gen twos. 
Oh, oh they're new, aren't they? Yeah, just coming out. Get so anyway, tires, sorry, uh, get, keep up, mate. Keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's trying to turn it around. Real quick. Yeah, no, I've got no hope. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, yeah, good, good thoughts, mate. Good thoughts. No worries. Greg, Andrew, final thoughts. I think we kind of covered it. Oh. Covered, it covered it all, really. That I mean, that has pretty hit it on the head, pretty much. Yeah, I'm seem to agree. I concur. Is my summary <laughs> nicely done? Uh, Thank you. Thank I'd, I'd get a tick of varmint and chuck it into a different chassis, but that's my take on it. Um, yeah, I was sort of more thinking something you could use with a detachable mag, sort of straight away. That's why I'd throw it into a different yeah. chassis, but yeah, without so spending it. An extra thousand bucks. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking. We're talking the same thing. Yeah, but yeah. An extra thousand bucks is only an extra mag for a CTR anyway, isn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Definitely for an AI. Just pinch one from a TRG. <laughs> Easy way to do it. We know someone with a TRG. Anyway, that's mm. a story for another night. So, uh, excellent guys. Thank you very much for uh, being part of this, butters. No worries. And how do people find you if they want to come and shoot the uh, NT matches, particularly the big one in August? Um, probably the easiest mode of contact or even finding out info is through our Facebook page, which is Practical Rifle Northern Territory. Um, we've got most of the info on there, especially about this year's shoots. Um, for the NT PRC this year in August... Um, yep. Our registration for that opens on the 4th of April, which is the Tuesday after the PRI this year. Um, if people people just if they want to enter into that, just ring ring my number, which is on the on the site. Yep. On the Facebook or we'll, we'll share that around as well. Yeah, just plaster it everywhere. I'll put your number all in all sorts of toilet. <laughs> But yeah, just <laughs> ring, ring me from there. I'll send you the registration pack that I'm not yet started, but I will make that <laughs> this week. I'll send you that pack. It'll have your registration papers and all that. Um, you pay, and once you pay the match fee, you will have your spot basically locked in. Um, yes. And that'll be in, when's that, 5th and 6th of August. And so you've got a fair few months of prep, especially for those down south or interstate that need to book flights. Um, flights generally aren't too bad if you get in early. Um, but, yeah, or through could, Facebook. Sorry? You could take one of Greg's planes. He might be doing a charter. Pers- personal charters. Yep. I think the Why Queensland not? boys wanted to do that. <laughs> Take one of Greg's planes, fair though. enough. Yeah, just pinch it. <laughs> but, yeah, contact us through the Facebook page or through to me on my number on there. I've had a few blokes ring me already asking if they can register. I've had to say, no, bugger off, not yet, <laughs> in, <laughs> in nicer terms. Um, but, yeah, Tuesday week. Please bugger off, is it? Please bugger off. Yeah, sounds uh, like you. Does, yeah, pretty much. But, yeah, the 4th of April, people can start ringing me and asking for the rego papers. And then, obviously, once the fees come through, your name's locked in and I can't say go away, basically. Yeah, all right. Very good. Excellent. And, um, well, thank you for joining us. We do have one more thing to mention. Uh, Greg, you wanted to give some things away? Oh, I was going to say, uh, do you want to give away one of those fancy um, uh, podcast brew mugs? Well, we are waiting on... Um, in the last episode, we asked people to submit their audio. So basically, grab your phone out, hit record on the audio recorder, and just tell us your one or two things you'd you do differently. Um, uh, from you know, knowing what you know now, if you're starting over again or recommending someone, what would you do differently? Uh, it doesn't have to be equipment related. It can be anything related in terms of shooting this style of shooting. Um, yeah, so we'd love to hear that. So do that and then email it through to us or drop it on Facebook or just get it to us somehow. But pretty much every phone's got the ability to do that. And we'd love to put a bit of a compilation together for a future episode where we'll touch back on that topic. Yeah. And so basically you're saying the, the one we like the the best will be a winner of this. Well, that's what you're saying, so we'll go with that. Okay. It and uh, if we really like it, we'll <laughs> personally autograph it as well. No, 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 if we... No, if that we, costs extra. If we really, an audio file. My signature costs extra. No, the coffee mug. 
No, if no. we if we <laughs> really like it, we won't signature. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> signature. We don't want we don't want to defend. Don't want to don't want to ruin it. Put Greg's bank account number on. <laughs> Swiss bank account. Yeah, brilliant. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening, Butters. Thanks for joining us, and gentlemen. Thanks for coming in. Cheers. No problem. No problem. No worries, fella. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Projectile Warehouse. Find your perfect projectile.